excuse me. So today we are continuing our sermon series again. We're going through kind of using this little tiny book, Surprise the World. You'd never think that such a small book, I could ramble on about it for six weeks. Uh, But that's the way we're doing. We're going to finish this series next week. Um, after this series, uh, I'd like to kind of just paint a picture of where we're going a little bit. Next, uh, after this series, we're going to spend three weeks going through the book of Titus. I think Titus is a great book to look at. It's a short book, but it's a tiny, powerful book on the power that God has in his church and the call that he has for us as followers of Jesus in the church. And then, <laughs> hard to believe, it's Advent. Four weeks till Christmas. It just always seems to sneak up on us every single year, doesn't it? Right? I, sometimes I feel like I'm still putting away the Christmas decorations from last year. You know, we got a cat for Christmas last year, so I'm finding Christmas balls kind of all over the house still. So we're still putting away decorations even now. And, and then we're going to actually launch into the new year. I've really just been feeling God just uh, putting this on my heart more and more and more. We're going to spend several months, I don't know, it's probably about three to four months, going through the book of Romans. Because the book of Romans is a big, big, big theological book. And sometimes that can be a little head heavy. But the whole point of, some, of looking at something like that, it's not about filling our heads, but it's about transforming our lives. Your theology should change how you live. Like if you believe that God is a loving God, is it making you a loving person? If you believe that God is a generous God, are you becoming a generous person? If you believe that God is a forgiving God, are you a forgiving person? Your theology should directly impact how you live. And if you think one thing and, believe, and, and behave another way, there's a disconnect between your theology and your behavior. <laughs> and so that's what we're going to spend some time in the new year going over. So I'm really, really excited about that. But in today's message, we're, we're continuing looking at uh, good spiritual habits that you and I need to put in place if we want to live what the author of Surprise the World calls a, 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 a questionable life. That your life is that you're living life in such a way that looks different than the other people in your workplace. It looks different than the other people in your school. It looks different than the other people in your community. And so people approach you with questions going, what, what's so different about you? Why don't you behave like everybody else? And this week's message is, again, a little bit more of a discipleship uh, message as well as we're talking about these different habits. But as, to kick this off, I'm just kind of curious How many of you, just show of hands this morning, how many of you have ever been to a country where you didn't know the language and didn't know the culture? Whether you went on a missions trip or a business trip, you just kind of went somewhere. Okay, a lot of hands went up. Thank you so much. If you're watching online, put it in the chat of what country that you went to. I'd love to see that in the chat. Um, several well, years ago, before I was a pastor, I was a computer consultant. And I used to work in Montreal. I worked for a French company. And, and we literally had most of the people there on my team didn't speak English. And we were rolling out software and programs all over the world because nobody else spoke English. I was the guy who had to travel all over the world. And I hate travel. 
<laughs> I've shared this before. I don't like airplanes. I don't like hotel food. I don't like going places where I don't know the, the language or the culture. It makes me uncomfortable. And um, I had to go on a business trip to Tokyo, Japan. And so I was in Tokyo, Japan for eight, for eight days. And for the first four and a half days, I stayed quite isolated in my hotel because I'm nervous when I travel. And then on day five, I got brave. And I said, I'm going to go explore. And so I spoke to the hotel concierge, and they kind of gave me these little cards okay, and directions, all in English on one side, and on the other side, it's in Japanese to kind of help the tourists get around. And I was told, you're going to go to this market area, you're going to visit all these kind of temples and, and kind of see the culture, and then here are the instructions to get back. You're going to take the train. There's this train that runs throughout the city. So I go, I do all my sightseeing things, get a bunch of souvenirs for my family, and then I go to the train, and I'm waiting for the train, and I'm waiting for the train. And there's this announcement that's kind of on the speakers every minute, and I don't understand it. It's in Japanese. Now, I was from Montreal, where we have a train, and the train in Montreal, if you miss the train, the next one could be in an hour, hour and a half. That's normal. So I'm sitting there going, oh, I missed the train. It must be just announcing when the next train is. And um, if I got to sit here for an hour, hour and a half, that's normal for me. So I'm sitting there 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. And then finally, this kind of young Japanese student, she must have been 13 sees me she comes running up the train to the to the station and she looks at me going you stupid tourist okay it's not exactly what she said but she just looked at me with such compassion and said train broken in broken english now i'm in a city i don't know in a language i don't know in a culture i don't know with a little card that says how to get back to my hotel and it says take the train <laughs> Okay, and the train is broken. Okay, when you talk to different missionaries before they go on any missions trip, whether it's short-term missions, long-term missions, you always hear of training, right, to get used to the culture that you're going to, so that the missionary isn't standing there on a train platform and the train is broken and they're wasting all of their time, right? This book. Your Bible is a training manual for you. It's a training manual to make you a missionary. Think about that for a moment. We, we study this. We meditate on this. We pray this. We, 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 we obsess on this. We learn this. We consume this. In order for it, the book, the, the power of God through his word, to change us, to transform us for the purpose of going. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are missionaries. We are sent people. Now, it might not be to another country in another language, but it might be into a workplace. It might be into a school. It might be into a community, into a sports league, into a hobby group, into whatever it is that God sends you. You and I are sent people. I mean, look at the words of Jesus here. This is a very famous passage in Matthew chapter 28. 
It's right at the very end of Matthew's gospel. After Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, he came to his disciples. And this is what is known as the Great Commission. In, verse, in chapter 28, verse 16, it starts, says, Then the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee. So after Jesus rose from the dead, they went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the marching order of the church. This isn't just a simple call to the apostles. This is the call to every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, to go into every place that God sends us as missionaries to make more disciples. That you and I are here in this church or joining online. We're here because someone else did this in your life. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your grandparents. Maybe it was a friend at school. Maybe it was a colleague at work. But someone in your life obeyed this. They went and they made disciples. And you're here today because of that. Thousands of years have this has gone on again and again and again, this process of making disciples. Right? And this passage in Matthew chapter 28, it reminds us how the, the resurrection is the, is the ultimate validation of Jesus' divine authority. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's not some authority. It's not some parts of my life. It's not some days of the week. All authority in heaven, on earth, under the earth have been given to Jesus. And Jesus gives us his authority that we go out into the world in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we bring the authority of Jesus everywhere that we go. You and I are sent people. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus demonstrated his authority over all things. How did he demonstrate that he had authority over all things? Well, he demonstrated he had authority over the human body as he would do healing. He demonstrated that he had authority over the spiritual realms when he would cast out demons. He showed that he had authority even over natural elements when he made storms stop. Jesus also showed that he had authority over Sabbath and sin and even death itself when he raised the dead. And he calls us as sent people to do what he did. To love like he did. To teach like he did. To bring his authority to all the corners of the world. And so in this first week of this series of Surprise the World, we talked about living a questionable life. Living a questionable life means that you are living like a man, woman, boy, or girl who is a missionary. You are a missionary wherever God has sent you, that you're having this questionable life. 
And again, in the first week, this doesn't mean that every single one of us has the spiritual gift of evangelism. There's a difference between the spiritual discipline of evangelism, the spiritual discipline of being a witness, is I'm just out there living my life. And if I get opportunity to talk about Jesus, I'll talk about Jesus. I'm living my life. That's a discipline of evangelism. The spiritual gift of the evangelist is when when that individual does it, it just seems like everyone around them keeps accepting Jesus. (laughs) But that doesn't negate that all of us have this call to be evangelists, to be witnesses, to be sent people, to be missionaries. And so this fifth habit that we're going to look at and talk about today is um, the spiritual habit of journaling. Now, this might seem very weird compared to all the other habits that we've talked about. When you think about the habits that we've looked at, and if you want to have a quick and easy way to memorize all the habits that we've done, just think of the word bells. Christmas is coming up, so think of Christmas bells. Bells. B, bless. I will bless people. E, I will eat with people. L, I will listen to the Holy Spirit. L, I will learn Christ. And S is I will be sent. Now, you're already sent. That's the beauty of this thing. It's doesn't like it's not like you got to sit there and go, well, okay, i got to really develop being a sent person. You're already sent. How many of you go to work? Okay, you're already sent. How many of you go to school? Okay, you're already sent. How many of you, like, are on a sports team? Oh, keep raising your hand. I want to make sure everyone's awake here. Okay? You're already sent. Okay? You are already a sent person. The question for us is we got to ask ourselves, am I noticing what God is doing as a sent person? Am I even aware of what God is doing all around me as he sends me to these places? And so that's why the author talks about the spiritual habit of journaling. And journaling is a spiritual discipline, but it's not one of the ones that we tend to talk about a lot as churches. Because it's not like there's a clear Bible verse that says, go to the dollar store and buy a journal for a buck seventy-five, because it's not really a dollar anymore at the dollar store. Everything is like two fifty now. They should rebrand. And um, so there's no verse that says to do this. But there's the biblical concept all throughout Scripture. Like example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says to examine yourselves, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. <laughs> right? and, and because journaling, is, like I said, it's a spiritual discipline, and we don't tend to talk about it a lot. But the Bible is shows again and again and again this practice of examining ourselves there's actually other a lot of verses in the old testament that say write down what the lord is doing so that we can remember what god is doing right and so this habit of journaling actually helps to train us in being sent people because we're intentionally developing the habit to observe what God is doing in my life. We're actually intentionally taking time, slowing down, being still, having to ask God to bring things to mind 
so that I can jot it down, the things that God has done. Let me show you this. These are my journals since I've been here at Greenbelt. Okay? None of your names are written in here, don't worry. Okay? These are my journals since I've been here. There might be one that was before I got here. And one of these, I can't remember which one, but one of these I really need to put a label on it that says burn upon death. Um, because one of these is my angry journal. <laughs> it's my lament journal. When I've had a bad day. When I'm like, you're going to read that going, why didn't we check him into a mental institution? Okay. But here's the thing. God is okay with those feelings. We see those laments in the book of Psalms. Okay. But this is, I'm not always perfect in this habit. It's something that I jump back to from time to time. But when I go back and I reflect on what God has done, exactly like what Paul asked us to do in our time of song, bring to mind the goodness that God has done in your life. And if you're like me, some days it's really hard to bring that to mind. It just is. And some days it's really hard to go, I can't remember what the last goodness was. But I wrote them down. <laughs> so I can go back and be encouraged and to be built up and to be reminded that God is working. That God is not dead. That God continues to change people's lives. God is continuing to change my life because I have a journal of it. I've got a record of it. Okay, that was heavy. All right. And so in the book, Surprise the World, the author talks about a number of different ways. If journaling is not a regular, normal spiritual habit of yours, give some guidelines on ways to start, on topics to, to start thinking about and journaling about. And so I want to just go through three of them. And again, and I want to look at the scripture associated with his suggestions, again, because I believe this book is training us. It's a manual. It's making us missionaries. So when the Bible calls us as Christians to be living a certain way, then we journal, we develop the habit of journaling what God has done during the week, right? And the reason we want to do this, this is kind of the big idea, is that we journal throughout the week all the ways that you, are, that you alerted others to the universal reign of God through Christ. How did God use you as a sent person to alert other people to the universal reign of God through Christ? If Jesus has all authority, how were you used to alert other people of all of the authority of God through Christ? And so the book, I think, has like four or five different things that they talk about. Again, I just want to highlight three of them in our time together this morning. And the first is um, journal about reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, what is reconciliation? Reconciliation means being to, to reconcile. If you have broken relationship with someone, you can either keep living with a broken relationship or you can reconcile. You can mend the relationship. Well, that's our life with God. In our sin, 
in our attitudes, our behaviors, our thoughts. The Bible teaches us that that sinful nature that every single human being is born with has separated us from God. And what reconciles, what heals the relationship between humanity and God is not religion. It's not rules. It's not traditions. It's not behavior. It's repentance. It's turning from the sin of turning our hearts back to God, giving our affections off of the sin and putting that affection on God. And the Bible teaches us that is what reconciles us. And then in 2 Corinthians... The Apostle Paul writes this to the church, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 20. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So that's that. We're saved from our sin. We are reconciled to God through what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection. Then Paul continues, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Because you, if you've put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin, you have been reconciled in your relationship with God. You have been given the mission of reconciliation. This is why the Bible talks so often on the importance of being okay and reconciled with one another. The Christian who refuses to speak or have anything to do with another Christian, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Holding grudges and pain and all of these things. Now, reconciliation is messy, absolutely, but it's worth it. Because you have been reconciled. We are agents, ambassadors of reconciliation. So we have been reconciled with God and we're sent out with the mission, the call to also bring the ministry of reconciliation to other people. So when you grab your journal and you think about your week, you jot down, how did God use me to reconcile people to God. Was I an ambassador of reconciliation this week? How did God use me to reconcile believers to one another? How did God use me? And all you're doing is you're developing the habit to see what God is doing. Because sometimes you don't even realize what God is doing. Right? I remember just recently I, I, I had coffee with an individual and, you know, uh, someone who, you know, kind of has a faith, but kind of struggling in their faith. And, and, and it was just coffee. Like I, I really didn't go to it more than any other reason for coffee because <laughs> I was about to give up coffee. So I really had like 30 pots that week of coffee before I gave it up completely. That's what we do, right? And so I went out with this individual for a cup of coffee. And it was a great conversation. And and I really didn't think much about it until I started asking myself these questions. God, did you actually use that meeting, that cup of coffee, to show the authority of Jesus into this person's life? 
And then I remembered, wow, we actually talked about this. And it was such a quick little conversation that I completely forgot about. And their attitude changed and their posture changed and everything about the conversation changed at a certain part of the conversation. And I would have completely forgotten about that if I wouldn't have been studying for this sermon and remembered that and to jot it down. God is using us to reconcile people to himself. God is using us to see people reconciled in their relationships. And they're small sometimes. It's easy to forget. The habit of journaling it reminds us about it when we need the reminder. It develops us more and more into missionaries. When you think God is not using you to do reconciliation, he probably is. And we journal it to get better at remembering how God is using you in the mission, in the ministry of reconciliation. Other thing that the book talks about and the Bible teaches this is that we'll journal about justice. How is God using me to bring justice into the world? Very famous passage from the Old Testament in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, you know, he being God has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Like, what does God want me to do in my life? Right? Big question. The answer is real simple. Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. You know, we, we live in a culture today right now, and, and I'm really excited to see when young people are so incredibly passionate about social justice. And bringing justice to the marginalized and bringing justice to the poor and bringing justice to the least of these. I think that's an amazing thing, seeing people really get engaged in processes to bring mercy and justice in the world. But I think what a lot of us forget is social justice is not new. (laughs) It's been the call of the church since day one. Maybe we got a little off track. Maybe we got a little distracted. Maybe it became a little bit more convenient to hand justice off to the government or to other organizations so that we didn't have to get our hands dirty anymore. But the church is who started the hospitals and the orphanages and the food banks and care and social assistance ended slavery, and all of these things. And is there still work to do? Absolutely. But it's not a new call. It has been the call of the follower of Jesus for 2,000 years. It has been the call of the people of God for thousands of years before that. To seek justice. How is God using you to bring justice? How is God using you to bring mercy to those who need the mercy of God in the world? Right? A proper relationship with God, you know, according to this verse in in Micah, involves a proper relationship with one's neighbor. You can't say that you love God and are walking humbly with God when you're not seeking justice and loving mercy. They go together. They have to go together. Right? You can't say that you love the Father and have a hard heart 
towards those who are suffering. And a hard heart or a callousness or a complete indifference to those who are hurting. Where is God using you to show justice? Where is God using you to bring mercy? Again, we jot those things down. Because, again, it's a learning experience. It doesn't mean that you're going to just jump a coin. You're going to go wake up one day and go, wow, I'm, I just haven't really been doing this as much as I've been wanting to. And you're just going to kind of quit your job. And you're going to kind of join this parachurch ministry. And you're going to, like, give all your resources and sell your house. And, and you're going to give all your money to the poor. It, it, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean there are little ways that I contribute. There are little ways that I pray. There are little ways that I'm generous with my resources in order to bring justice. One of the things, and again, I'm not sharing this as a hero. I just share this as a discipleship example. I was in a, a denominational meeting you know, a couple of months ago. And, and, you know, and it was lighthearted and it was a pastor's thing. So it's like 99% dudes, right? And one guy made a joke about my wife. And I lost it at him. I lost it at him. Like it was, I was at this retreat, and the person looked at me and said, Wow, you're here? Danielle lets you leave the house? And I'm like, what kind of woman do you think my wife is? My wife's not that kind of woman. She's a godly woman who loves the Lord, who you know. This is not right. We don't talk that way about the women in our church. I will not tolerate it. And the room went quiet. Now, I don't know if I'll ever be invited back. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay? But that's the call. Right? That's the call, is to stand up, is to put ourselves in the gap for those who may not have a voice at the table. And it will be uncomfortable, and it will be a challenge. And so that's why, write it down. Journal it. <laughs> Remember how God uses you in those moments to grow as a missionary seeking justice. And then the last point is this, is journal about wholeness. Journal about wholeness. See, in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 22, um, John the Baptist was in prison and he sent messengers to talk to Jesus because John the Baptist is about, literally about to lose his head for his faith in God. For his faith in the Messiah. And he wants to make sure, am I about to die for the right thing? Am I about to die for the right person? And Jesus says these words. says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, Jesus came to bring wholeness completeness to people, right? And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is this picture that your spirit, your soul, your emotions, your body, all these things in Christ are slowly, they're being made new. They're coming together. Jesus is bringing wholeness into our lives. 
It's not thinking one way, behaving another thing. It's not acting this way one day and totally the opposite the other day. It's, it's, it's this wholeness. He's bringing this completeness to people. Right? And we see throughout the Bible that this is done as we love one another, as we care for one another, as we encourage one another. We're actually spurring on the spiritual growth of wholeness in people's lives. That's why we say unapologetically that we want every single person to be in a life group, to be doing life with other people, that you are becoming whole as you gather with other people and you are being used by God to bring wholeness to other people. Right? So how is God using you in his work of seeing people made whole? And you don't need a seminary degree for that. You just need the Holy Spirit. That's empowering you. That's living in you. And then we jot these things down. Be reminded. We constantly need a reminder of how much God is using us. Because you are a sent person. You are a missionary. You are already sent. I don't need to pray a prayer of commissioning to send you out this week. Because you're going somewhere tomorrow. You're going into your communities, you're going into your schools, you're going into wherever environment God is sending you. You don't live in this building, you're not in this Christian huddle 24-7. You are already a sent person. But by journaling, intentionally taking time to quiet yourself, reflect, hear from God what God is doing. We journal throughout the week all the ways that you altered others to the universal reign of God through Christ. I love how the author puts this in the book. This is a quote from the book, and it says this. This is the key to the fifth habit. It's about reshaping our identities around our fundamental calling as the sent one of God by fostering the habit of briefly, it doesn't have to be this big, huge thing, briefly journaling the various ways, large and small, in which you altered others to God's reign of reconciliation, justice, beauty, wholeness, you will find yourself increasingly identifying yourself as a sent one. If you don't think of yourself as a sent one, if you don't think of yourself that God is using you, journal it. Think about it. Find it. And you will see it more and more and more in your life. And then it begins to change your identity. But that that identity, again, has to come not from just being a churchgoer, not just from kind of following religious rules. Well, Pastor Kevin said, I better bless people, so I'm going to do it. Pastor Jasmine said, I better eat with people, so we better do it. Pastor Kevin said, listen to the Holy Spirit, so I better try to do it. Or I'm going to try to learn Christ, so I'm going to just hanker down, and I'm going to journal, and I'm just going to do all this through sheer willpower. No, you need to surrender. You need to surrender. And it starts maybe from some people who are joining online or maybe even some people in the room. It needs to start with that initial surrender of recognizing that there is this holy, righteous, perfect, loving God who loves you and who died for you. And you're reconciled to him through your faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that simply means believing in your heart 
that Jesus rose from the dead, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you do that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes on you and makes you new, and then you are instantly, eternally reconciled to God. And you can do that right where you are, at home or in this room, just by saying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life. Make me new. If you pray that for the first time today, please let us know online in the chat or come and tell me in the cafe afterwards. But then for those of us who've done that before, then we submit. Father, you have reconciled me to you. Use me as a sent person of God. Open my eyes to the hurt, the brokenness, the lost, the confused, the marginalized, the victims. Use me, God, to bring reconciliation. Use me, God, to bring justice. Use me, God, to bring wholeness. And I believe that God will honor that prayer because it's what the word of God tells us on how to live. (laughs) I don't think God will ever dishonor a prayer that the Bible tells us to live. (laughs) You are sent. (laughs) Jot it down. Remember it. Be encouraged by it. Be built up as a sent one for God. Let's pray. Father God, I send you first and foremost for sending Jesus into the world, who is our ultimate example of a sent one, that he has been sent to make us whole, that he has been sent to reconcile us, that he, is, he was sent to bring justice and mercy into the world. And Father God, as those who have accepted that gift that freely given, loving, loving, merciful gift of salvation, for those of us who have accepted that, you have sent us into the world as missionaries. We don't need to get on an airplane. We don't need to learn a new culture. We don't need to learn a new language. But we do need to have hearts that are open to how you would like to use us, Father, for your glory. And God, you're using so many of us already. Help us to remember that. Help us to bring glory and praise to you in remembering those things. And for those of us who maybe we don't think we're being used, God, bring to mind that actually you have used them. (laughs) You've used them already to bring wholeness and justice and reconciliation and encourage them in that revelation of what you've been doing in them and through them. And so, Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, just keep on speaking to us because your servants, your children are listening. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.